Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Church, how's everyone doing today? It is so good to have you with us for the fourth and um, final conclusive part of our current series, which is titled About Everyone. So if you're here for the first time, I want to say an especially big, warm welcome to you. And also for all of our family that is joining in online as well. You are just as much part of our church family as every single one of us that are gathered here in the room, whether it be over the internet, in your pyjamas still, on your Sunday afternoon, afternoon. We're just glad that you are here. Over the last couple of weeks, I guess that what you could maybe surmise this series has been about in the main is having a conversation about who we are as a church. We've been having a conversation about certain parts of our heritage, our history, where we've come from and what we've tried to do in order to make sure that we really are a church that's about everyone. And in the main, we've been talking about who we are. And today, though, as we close this series, I just want to have a different type of conversation that is maybe more focused on how we are and not just who we are. So I guess in many respects, today's talk is going to primarily be based on nuts and bolts. We're going to be talking about the component parts that actually really do practically help build a church environment that really is about everyone. Because the danger is, and this is the same for us all, we could all inadvertently end up being a church that has a sign on the wall that says we're about everyone. But unless we know how we need to become in order to be about everyone, then all we are is a church with the sign on the wall. And I don't know about you, but I've sacrificed and given way too much to just be another church with a cool sign on the wall. That's not where we're heading. That's not going to be part of our future. So we want to look at how we are as a church, how we work, how we are as just followers of Jesus. You know, a few years back, we went on a holiday. I know, can you remember? It's like, that's what we all used to do in our summer times. And we had taken a bit of a last minute deal and we ended up going to Egypt. We'd never been there before. We didn't really know a great deal about it, but it was like, this looked pretty cool. And it's like good facilities and all that sort of stuff. We just wanted some sand. We wanted some sea and we just wanted to go have some fun. So we ended up in Egypt and where we stayed was this really nice resort. And when we arrived there, we were introduced to a guy who told me his name and I was to call him as Egyptian John. So I was like, hey, Egyptian John, I'm Luke. This is my wife. And he was like, you know, we just got on like a house on fire. You know, he was Egyptian and his kind of whole thing was, if you need anything at all, like throughout your stay, it doesn't matter what you need. Like you just let me know I'm the guy. Like I'll fix it. I'll mend it. I'll bring it to you. Like whatever you need, I'm going to take care of you. It's like, man, Egyptian John, that's incredible. Thank you so, so much. You know, pretty much every day we'd bump into Egyptian John around the pool and he'd make sure that everything was cool. And typically it was like, yeah, everything's fine. But about midway through the holiday, something had happened with the air conditioner in the hotel whereby our room was just not getting cold anymore. Like you'd come in from a day by the pool and the rooms were just absolutely roasting. So I found out Egyptian John and I was like, Egyptian John, we've got a problem. And he was like, oh, Mr. Luke, what's the problem? I said, the air conditioner in the hotel rooms aren't working and it's just too hot. And he's looking at me all 
all kind of confused. He doesn't really understand fully what I'm trying to say. I'm like, I don't know whether the machine is empty. I don't know whether it's broken, but can you have somebody fix the air conditioner because it's just uncomfortable? And he was kind of like looking at me, even all the more confused. And in the end, he kind of said to me, you know, Mr. Luke, leave it with me. I'll sort, Mr. Luke, leave it with me. So that's what we did. The next day we went out at the pool and he promised me that it was all gonna be rectified and the air conditioner would all be resolved and sorted by the following day. So we came in and went into the hotel and it was still roasting. It was just really hot, really warm. So I went and found Egyptian John and I was like, hey John, like (laughs) the air conditioner is still broken. It's like, it's not working. I don't know if it's empty, but they clearly didn't do the thing and it's too hot in there. And he's looking at me as though I've got like three heads or something. He's like all confused and he's like not understanding what I'm saying. So in the end, he kind of like frog marches me back to my hotel room and I'm going, see, it's too hot. It's like, it's not cold. And he's looking at me all confused. And he takes me into the bathroom, which is always a bit weird when another guy is escorting you into the bathroom. And he kind of points all at the sink. And this is a photograph of what he had done on our sink. He had placed... 15 bottles of hair conditioner in my hotel. I was like, Egyptian John, no, it's the air conditioner. The last thing I need in my life. (laughs) If there's one thing I don't need, bro, it's hair conditioner. Are you taking the... But it's funny though, isn't it, hey? How we can often get the wrong end of the stick. It's funny how you can picture a way of life and how it doesn't always materialize how you'd expect and it can be a little bit frustrating. It's funny sometimes how you can get the wrong end of the stick even about what it's really like being part of a local church. We can mistakenly think that being a part of a church that really is about everybody looks like coming to a church that has a sign on the wall that says we're about everyone when actually that's just getting the wrong end of the stick. Because if we really do exist to change lives for Christ, one life at a time, it's really gonna take us all understanding how we need to be in order to facilitate that. And I don't want anybody getting the wrong end of the stick about that. Because there are so many things in life that you have zero control over. So many things that will happen in your workplace, in your family, in your church life that you have zero control over. But equally, it's true that there are many things that you have a lot of control over. And I think that when it comes to creating an environment, like we're trying to do every single Sunday, that makes it easy for people to follow God, that makes it easy for people to see that this church is about you, that doesn't happen by mistake. Because everything grows, right? Everything in your garden is going to grow, but whether or not it grows intentionally as a result of cultivation or just simply by chance and fluke is really down to whether or not you commit to doing whatever is required in the garden to ensure that it doesn't just grow with weeds and fawns because they will grow, I promise you. And it's the same in church too. We've got to make sure that we're intentional about the kind of environment that we create for your friends, for your colleagues, for your families that maybe have not yet been to church if we're really going to be about everyone. And I actually think that God will always respond best to what you cannot control when you've already been given your best, not the best, but your best 
in your handling of the things that you can control. So I guess that I want to explore some ways in which we can really make sure that we're going to be about everyone. We're going to go in a moment to a very well-known story that is in the New Testament. In fact, it's so well known, even if you're not a church person or a Bible person, you've probably heard of this story, if at least only in a school assembly when you were growing up. But this story is often subtitled in our Bibles, in our scriptures, as the story of the prodigal son. But we as preachers and teachers, communicators, we've not really done you a favour in our talking about this story. And the reason why I say that is because you would be mistaken to think that the story of the prodigal son is about a father and a son. We preach about it and we teach about it from the perspective of this is about a rebellious son who turns around one day to his father and he says to his dad, look, I want all of my inheritance now. I appreciate that you're not dead, but one day you will be dead. And I want to live now today as though you were dead to me. So give me my inheritance. Give me whatever it is that's due to me because I want to go party. Like I want to go and hang with my friends. I want to go to the casino. I want to get a car. I want to hang with prostitutes. I want to do drugs. I want to do alcohol. I want to go crazy. Like, I just want to have a season in my life where I'm just going to like go wild. And dad, I'm just going to do that right now as though you're dead to me. So just give me the money that's due to me. And then the response of the father is one of, I guess, begrudgingly, but loving his son, he agrees to give him his request. So the son goes off and has this period of time and we don't know how long, but it's like just crazy living. Like everything imaginable, this kid does it. Like everything that could ever bring the family's name into disrepute, this kid does it. Everything, the lot. But then one day his life hits the fan, literally. And he ends up deciding to go and work on a pig farm, which for a young Jewish boy is like one of the most offensive occupations that you could ever have. But he then realizes that actually even his servants of his father that work back at the family ranch, well, even they have a better standard of living than him. So he decides in his heart that he's going to go back to his dad and say, dad, look, I'm so sorry. And I know you'll never accept me as a son again, but can I just be one of your servants and work in the family house? And then the story goes on to show us how the father, even in spite of all the horrendous things that the son has put the father through, ends up being gracious towards this son and he embraces him and he kind of, it tells us how he spots him on the horizon. He can see him coming back to the family home and he runs out to greet him and he gives him a new coat. He got a Canada goose and he got some new sandals and he got a ring. It was like 18 karat gold, all the business. Like the father gave the son everything. And it was like, man, like how incredibly kind and gracious is the father? And that's what we've made the story about. We've made it a story about a father that has one son. We've made it about the prodigal son. And even the scholars that have helped us compile what we now refer to as the Bible, all of these ancient documents and manuscripts that are contained within the Bible, even they've not helped either because they subhead this particular story as the prodigal son. But it's not a story about one son. It's a story about a dysfunctional family. 
It's a story about a father that had two sons. It's a story about a father that had two sons that were two brothers. And often we only focus in the story about the prodigal son and his relationship and his interactions with his father. But there's a whole nother thing going on in the background. And I promise you, if it's in scripture, it's in there for a reason, right? It's not always easy to grasp, but if it's in there, it's in there for a reason. There's another son in the story and it's the life of this other son and his response to his brother returning home that I want us to look at today as we close our About Everyone series. Because I think he gives us a great demonstration of how not to be in the family home. In fact, the other brother, he gives us a great story of how not to be in a local church. Because if you want to make an environment that makes it near impossible for people to feel like they can be part of our church, then all we have to do is the same things that the other brother in this story did. That's all we have to do. So today, I want to rapid fire go through a bunch of ideas and thoughts that for me says, we become like the other brother if we do the same things that he did. And if we do that, we will never be a church that's about everyone. So if we wanna know how to be, we've got to understand how not to be as well. So let's look at how not to be when it comes to the story of the other brother. So we're gonna go Luke 15, we're gonna go verse 25. We're gonna pick the story up where the prodigal has returned home. His father is kind of like so elated. He's like clearly excited. He can't believe that this son of his has come back into the family fold. And now we're going to look at and explore what the other brother does in this story. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, the other brother, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with me mates. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So you are like the other brother when you do these things. And I'm asking you not to be like the other brother. I'm asking us as a church family to never create an environment for your friends, colleagues, family members who don't yet know Jesus, who someone is bringing to church. I don't want you to do the same thing as the other brother by creating the wrong environment for them. So you're like the other brother when, number one, you take offence too easily. Verse 26, it talks about how the brother he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? You know, you can just imagine how this is playing out, right? 
this crazy, wild, living brother returns back home and now he is livid. I mean, like he's been working on the family farm all of this time and he demands one of the servants to come over. He's like, what's going on? What's all the noise about? What's happening? What is serious? What is happening here? Now we know he's offended. In fact, the scriptures tell us later that he gets angry. We know he's offended now. He's not happy with what's going on. He's not happy that his father's treating this other brother the way that he would disagree with. And he started to take offense at first just because about something he didn't know was happening around him. He didn't know that the brother had come home and he certainly didn't know that his dad was planning to throw a party for him. He got offended because something was happening that he didn't know about and he had no control about. Isn't that the same for you and I though? Like just think about some, some of the things that really vex you in work. And it's the same in church too, right? Some of the things in your family. Don't you find that it's easy to get offended when something's happening around you that involves you that you feel like you've just not been included in the conversation? It happens in church all of the time. Like, oh, well, I didn't know that that was happening. Or I didn't know that that was a thing. It's easy to end up getting offended often without there being ever any intent to see you offended just because you don't know something just because something's happening around you that someone else has made the decision on that affects you and it bothers you. And I kind of want you to just understand this really simple principle. When it comes to offense, at the end of your offense, there's always a person. Like you never get offended about a thing. You always get offended because of what one person has done that has created the thing. So whenever you get offended, there's gonna be a person involved. But when you're building a church as big as Liverpool One Church, the more people there are, the increase in the likelihood is gonna be that you're gonna get offended. Because the more people there are, the more likelihood that you're gonna get offended. Someone's gonna do something, someone's not gonna tell you something, somebody's gonna greet you funny, someone's gonna look at you funny, someone's not gonna respond to you in the way that you thought they should do. Like the chance and the likelihood of you becoming offended is high because people are in this church. And I just wanna go on record and say, like if you're looking for the perfect church, like you want a church that you can be part of, that's just perfect, where nobody ever does anything that's imperfect. Like, I wanna let you know, this is definitely not the church because we understand that we are very imperfect people, but we're pursuing a very perfect God. That's who we are. You do not wanna be part of Liverpool One Church if you're looking for the perfect church, because I promise you, there's always gonna be something that upsets you. There's always gonna be something someone says. There's always gonna be some kind of issue that you can have with someone else. I promise you, because people are involved. <laughs> Chances are I'm gonna upset you. I'll say something stupid. The likelihood of that is really high. And I'm just saying, look, if we're really gonna build a church that's about everyone, we can't be like the other brother and just get offended all too easily. You can't get offended if someone looks at you funny in life group and that says something and then all of a sudden you feel like, are they having a go at me? <laughs> are they like subliminally trying to mess me? Like, or maybe if your team leader on impact asks you to do something and you're like, well, why are they asking me and not someone else? Like, you know, can't they do it? It's like, do they not value me enough to not ask me? It's like, just stop working ahead. Just choose not to get offended. It's really easy. Just live an unoffended life. The less drama, the better, I promise you. You'll be healthier in life if you choose to not live life offended. So let's not build a church where we're like the other brother and we're getting offended all the time. The second thing, you're like the other brother. When you think what you do is more important than who you are. It tells us in the scripture that the oldest son was out in the field. 
So when the other son comes home, he's like working, he's grafting, he's doing a shift for his dad. He's trying to be helpful. He's trying to look after the family farm. He's trying to take care of the chores. And there was a part of him that believed that because this is what I do, it can compensate for all that I lack in terms of who I am. Like, because this is what I bring to the table, this covers and compensates for the lack of character that I actually possess. A few years back, I was approached by another minister in Liverpool who had been leading a church for like decades. And the church had never really grown past about 20 people, something like that, after about 20 something years. And he came to me and he said, hey, listen, he said, I'm gonna sell my church. We're gonna like close the thing down and we've got a building that we own and we're gonna be selling the building. We've been told it's gonna be valued at about 150,000 pounds. I wanna give you the 150,000 pounds. Honestly, I was like, glory, what a day to be alive. Cause this never happens to me. Like this is just epic, you know? And when you, you know, you're a relatively smaller church than we were that back then, you know, it was kind of like, man, this is great. This is phenomenal. Well, anyway, I kind of had this conversation. I said, so you're gonna sell your church, 150 grand. You wanna give that to our church. I said, what do you want in return? He says, oh, absolutely nothing. He says, I'm just a mere humble servant of the Lord and I want to give you 150 grand. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Are you like, seriously, you're not giving this with any strings attached? Like, you know, is there some sort of condition? And he said, well, just one thing I want. I said, okay, what's that? He goes, well, I want 50% of the leadership of the church and I want 50% of all of the teaching and the preaching that happens from the church from the stage. And I said, so let me get this right. You've had a church for 20 years. It's never got past 20 people. Now you've had a church building that is pretty much close to derelict. You can't do anything with. So you're going to sell it because that's your only option. But you think that 150 grand would get you a ticket onto our leadership team. I said, you're absolutely wrong. Like our vision is not for sale, not for a million quid, let alone 150 grand. Like you think that what you bring to the table is more important than who you really are. Let me tell you, what you bring to the table doesn't count for everything. What really counts is who you are and your character in the stillness of the night when no one's looking, when your bank balance is at zero. That's what really counts. And this guy, he'd failed to understand that imitation was his biggest limitation. He'd have been better off just being the absolute best version of him possible than trying to piggyback off the back of someone else's vision, dream, or idea. He'd have been way better on doing that, like staying in his lane and running in his lane. Because otherwise you'll start to confuse what you do with who you are. And what you do is never more important than who you are. And when you make that mistake, you become just like the other brother. The third thing that makes us all like the other brother is when you make all that's good all about you. Verse 29, it says, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving. Interesting that he doesn't use the word working or serving, but I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. (laughs) Interesting language, isn't it, between a son and a father? I'm your slave and I obey your orders. You know, the bottom line is what he's trying to do here to his dad is he's trying to say, hey dad, look how hard I worked. Look at the hours that I've been putting in. Look at the project that I've completed. Aren't I good, dad? Look at me, dad. Value me, dad. Like, aren't I great? How good am I, dad? You know, the bottom line is, is that there comes a point in all of our lives when you just got to choose to not make everything that, that's good that's happening around your life all about you. 
You know, uh, maybe two years ago, maybe three actually, I was having a conversation with two leaders that I really respect. One of them has an absolutely huge church. I mean, just, just tens and tens of thousands of people go to his church. And another guy had another church. He was nowhere near as big as that, but still by European standards, you would say it's a thriving church. And I asked them both this same question. I said, guys, can you tell me, what do you think the single most important reason is for your church growing? And the guy that's got like the really, really big church, he turns around and he honestly, he looked like just so confused. He was like, man, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's like, maybe it's probably, we've just got a really good staff team. Maybe it's like, we've just got some of the best volunteers on the planet. And man, they just create this environment that makes it great for people to come to. Maybe it's just like, it's probably they are all component parts of the reason. It's probably all them. And I was like, Wow, because I'm sitting in front of literally one of the best leaders on the planet in our world. And not once is he talking about himself. Not once is he basically going, man, how great am I? But the answer was given by the other chap around the table. And he literally said about why he thought his church had grown. He was bold as brass and I'm not gonna try and do his accent. But he just said, it's because of my preaching. It's because of my teaching. And I was like, really? Like, did you, did you just say that? Like, is this a joke? And he was like, no, it's my teaching, my preaching. And I thought, even if it is, you don't say it. Like, even if it is, <laughs> even if you think it, you, you don't say that. Like, seriously? And I just think that if we're going to build a church that really is about everyone, it's going to take us all sometimes to continually be looking to pass the credit even when you do something good. But equally so, the fourth thing is you've got to not make all the bad all about them. We've got to understand that there's got to be a healthy relationship between the windscreen and the rearview mirror in your life. What that means is that when something good happens in your life, in your team, in work, in church on a Sunday, always look for an opportunity to pass the credit through the windscreen. Always look for someone somewhere that you can say, man, it's not all me, it's probably down to them. Always look to have that relationship. And then at the same sort of token, when things that are bad that are happening around you, be prepared to turn the rear view mirror onto yourself first before you go looking to pass the blame outwardly. Be willing to say, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to get better. Maybe there's a, a void in my learning capabilities right now. Maybe there's things that I need to do. Make sure you've got that healthy relationship so that you don't make all the good about you and all the bad about everyone else. Because when you do that on a team or, or in a group, it just becomes unhealthy and you don't create an environment that's actually about everyone the fifth thing, you're like the other brother. When you can't celebrate with someone else, verse 28, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. I mean, like he's having a proper temper tantrum right now, isn't he? He's like, nope, I don't, I'm not going in. I'm not coming to the party. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I am not coming in. He's properly choosing not to celebrate the great thing that's happening in his house because he's just all offended and all angry. Do you know that we do this in church all the time sometimes? We find it hard to celebrate the wins of other people. You know, Josh Scott, who's leading worship with us today, we've ran with him now for like years. He's become like one of our closest friends. We love him and his family. Becky, they're just brilliant people. But one of the things that I love about Josh is he genuinely is one of the most humble people on the, pla on the planet, let alone the platform here. And because of that, it, it makes him so easy to trust. Like it makes it so easy for me to give him responsibility. I love having him on staff and on team. He's just a quality guy. 
But the main thing is, is that he understands as somebody that gets the limelight a lot. Like he stands, he stands under these lights probably even more than me, but he understands that talent naturally repels talent. What I love about Josh is that even though he's incredibly talented and knows how to sing and make it rain for all of you as we worship together, he's always looking around for the next band member. He's always looking around for the next worship leader. He's always looking outwardly, who else can we onboard and get on team? And he fights that eight-old adage of talent repels talent because he's committed to building an environment that really is about everyone. He's prepared to celebrate the gifting and the talent in someone else, even if it rivals his own. We've all got to build with that mentality. It's okay if you can do what I do better than me because we win together as a family, right? That's way better. You know, let me give you another example of how sometimes we struggle to celebrate with people. Some of our closest friends in the world are Deb and Felice Alume that are part of our church. And um, he's on the front row with his little boy, fast asleep in his arms, I think. But but like for 13 years, and I've told this story once before and I've asked them their permission to tell this, but for 13 years, they were trying for a baby and for whatever the reason, just, it just didn't happen. And for 13 years, they would come to our house at Christmas every year and they would buy and spoil our kids with gifts and presents like faithfully every single Christmas. And you know what? To be able to do that for someone else's kids when you haven't got kids and you really desperately want kids, that takes a big God-honoring family to be able to do that. So that's why Emma and I and our team, like there was nobody more excited, you know, when they gave birth to their wonderful kid, Luca, who started school just in September. He's like four now going on 14. Honestly, he's like 14. He could well date your daughter. He's like going to be trouble. I'm telling you. He's just like, good looking Italian kid. Just lock your daughters up. What can I say? But there's nobody that wants to celebrate that more than us because I've seen the sacrifice of them being willing to celebrate when we had the thing that they earnestly wanted. I want to build a church family like that, that I might not always have what you've got and I want it, but I'm still not going to allow that to stop me from celebrating that with you. Because when you do, you just become like the other brother. Point six, you're like the other brother when you choose to spit your dummy out. Verse 28, it tells us that the brother was angry. Do you know the root of anger? When you really get down to it, when you really get down to the bottom line of what anger is, it's just you not getting your own way. That's what it is. And it's the same for me too. When you get angry about something, something's going on in your world that you're not happy about, something that you can't control, you can't change, and it's not going the way that you want. It makes us angry. And I'm just saying that I don't want us to build the kind of church that ends up getting offended or angry when things don't go your way. Because I'm just gonna give you, you know, like an advance notice, I promise you. There'll be times when things just don't go your way. There will be times when you think, man, there should be like six or seven worship songs and you guys only do, how many do we do? Four? I don't even know. But like, you, you, should, you should do more of this. I, I promise you, we'll, we'll disagree about that. Oh, we think the service should be shorter. We think it should be louder. We think it should be longer. Like, we'll, we'll disagree about a bunch of stuff. But I just want to say like, you're like the other brother if you allow that to make you angry. And we don't need to build that because when we do, we're not being about every one. Point seven, you're like the other brother when you strive for recognition. 
Verse 29 tells us, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He was like, dad, look at all the hard work I've been doing and you've never given me a goat. Like I want a goat. Where is my goat? We might not be after a goat. I hope you're not anyway. But there are times in your life and in mine where maybe you feel like no one's noticing what you do do. Can I just let you know, you don't need to be like the other brother because there'll be times and seasons in your life, maybe even serving on a team, maybe even helping to build Liverpool One Church and you'll feel a little bit overlooked, maybe overlooked by your leader, by whoever. You'll just feel like, man, do they even know what I'm doing here? During the times and seasons when you feel overlooked, you don't need to be like the other brother, like waving the flag. Look at me, dad. Look at me serving, obeying you, sacrificing. Look at everything that I've done. You don't need to be that because the last thing you need is, be, is the, just the nice speech and the building up from another man because even though a man might not see what you do, your father in heaven sees absolutely everything. You don't need to be like the other brother. You're like the other brother, point eight, when you're divisive with your language. Verse 30, it tells us, and he's, this is the son speaking to the father. He says, but when this son of yours, notice that he doesn't say to his dad, notice um, this brother of mine. He says, this son of yours, his language is divisive. His language is disruptive in the family unit. Because what do you think the father feels when he hears his son talk about his other son, like he's just your son and almost being willing to discredit the relational value that they have between each other. He could have far easily have said, this brother of mine, dad, or, or you know, like, come on, what are we gonna do with my brother, your son? He doesn't, he says, and this son of yours. And you've got to know, you're like the other brother. We all are when we're not careful with our language because it's so easy to be divisive with your language and you'll do it in ways that you don't even recognise. It's a little bit like one of the bands who serve faithfully here every single week. It would only take one of them, right? And it doesn't matter who, just it could take any one of them who might just hear Josh turn around and go, hey, we're gonna be doing this song on Sunday. And he can go, what? Oh man, I hate that song. That song sucks. Like that's the worst song ever. Why do we do that song? Like I hate that song. Everyone hates that song. I always love asking the question, who's the everyone? Because really what they mean is I don't like the song. But they're like, man, I just hate it. This is rubbish. Why are we doing it? Like, I don't like this. It's amazing how it only takes one person's negativity to then make somebody else go, all right, well, they don't like it. Do we need to change it to keep them happy? Like, do we all need to now cater and pamper for the hard work guy or girl that's in the room that's not happy about one thing and his language is so evidence in that? You know, it only takes one person on impact to be like, oh man, I hate wearing these red t-shirts. Man, they're ridiculous. Why do they make us do it anyway? Or on crew or on broadcast. Why do we have to wear these t-shirts? Why do we have to wear lanyards? Why do we have to turn up to church so early? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to be here? I don't get this. I don't understand this. What's going on? You're divisive when your language becomes like that. And we've got to understand that we're just one house, many rooms, many teams doing different things. And it's okay if you don't always know everything that's happening. Equally, if you don't understand the why behind the what, that's okay. You can ask and we'll explain it, but don't slate something that you just don't fully understand the why. You know, people sometimes say, I don't know why we have to wear these t-shirts. I'll tell you right now, 
The reason why we all wear t-shirts when we're serving is because it makes any first time guest who walks into the church immediately see a point of contact so they know who they can go to if they need help. Like, where's the bathrooms? Or, hey, can you help me? How do I check my children in? Or, hey, can you like point me in the direction of? Like, that's the only reason. It's about making an environment that makes it easy for people to follow God. And we do that. We become about everyone when we're not divisive with our language. And then my final point, the ninth point, I felt like if I did 10, it would just be like way too much system overload. Nine points felt a lot better with me. I don't know, it does with you too. But the ninth point that you're like the other brother on is when you value what is fair over what is right. Verse 32 tells us, but we had to celebrate and be glad. And this is the father speaking because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. You see, the other brother did not like the fact that the father was giving to his brother everything that he didn't deserve. He got a new coat, maybe a Canada goose, we don't know. He got a new pair of sandals, undoubtedly Nike Air Jerusalems. He got a ring on his finger with the family crest embroidered onto it. I mean, like he was looking at the way in which the father was acting and he was going, this doesn't make sense. This isn't fair. He's been running out the house crazy, squandering our wealth, damaging the family name, ruining our reputation. He's been doing drink, he's been doing drugs, he's been being with prostitutes. He's been crazy and now he comes home and now you treat him like you want to love him and have him back as part of the family. It's like, and what you see the father doing is, I'm not gonna do what's fair, I'm gonna do what's right because it wasn't fair, but it was right. And I think that that's the model that Jesus sets too. It tells us that Jesus had his 12 disciples and within the 12, he had three people that he would hang out with, do dinner with, be highly relational with. And then within the three, there was one that the Scriptures tell us and there was only one that Jesus really loved and that was John. So in other words, I think that we've got to be committed as a church to doing that which is right over that which is fair. And practically what that means is this, there'll be some people that are younger than you, that are newer to the church than you, that maybe get given a shot or an opportunity that you think that you should have been given, but it goes somewhere else. I don't want you to become fixated on what you think is fair because we're not gonna build a church that's fair. We're gonna build a church that's right. We're gonna use the model of Jesus. We're gonna do what He did and we're not gonna be like the other brother and get so infuriated when some guy comes in off the streets with his addiction and his habit. And then all of a sudden he gets time and attention and a family that loves him, which means probably that you're not getting the same time and attention that you're used to or you've previously had. We're not gonna do what's fair. We're going to do what's right. So my request is that we would take these nuts and bolts and we would live this out, Liverpool One that we would not be the church that has a sign on the wall that says we're about everyone. We would be the church that is about everyone. And it isn't just something that we say that we are, we demonstrate it with how we are. And as we do that, I am convinced, absolutely certain that God will continue as He has been doing to just simply add to our numbers and those that are putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.